Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're looking at verses 1 through 11. This is our Joy to the World teaching series. Jesus is coming to this world with good news of great joy. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi called Philippians is teaching us how we can have this joy, this good news of great joy in every context of our life, regardless of what we're going through. And today we're going to talk about joy in religion. I had a chance to read a few quotes here from uh, this neat little book on uh, Friday night, Christmas Eve. If you were here with us, we had quite a packed house, and uh, kids say some of the greatest things about God. I was kind of curious to see what some of the kids would say. These are kids 2 to 10, ages 2 to 10. Hundreds were asked simple questions. They gave very profound answers, and I was kind of curious what they would say about religion. So we're talking about religion here today. And uh, the question was asked specifically to them, uh, can you name any of the Ten Commandments? So immediately some of you are saying, I don't even know if I can name the Ten Commandments. But here's what they said, these kids. They said, buckle up for safety. Um, Don't smoke in the bowling alley. Don't drink beer. There you go. Listen to your parents and do what they said to do, unless they said don't do it. Brush your teeth. Put your jammies on each and every night because it's a wrong commandment to sleep without your clothes on. (laughs) And then uh, get dressed on time in the morning and don't forget your hair. I knew I forgot something. Uh, And then here's the last one. Don't go into work on Sundays. And if your boss says she'll fire you, call in sick. (laughs) Ten Commandments. So we're going to talk about joy in religion. And what I find interesting, and you can follow along in your bulletin or in your sermon notes, Jesus consistently attracted the irreligious while greatly offending the religious of his day. Do you find that odd or interesting, or when you study through the gospel accounts of Jesus, he tended to reach out to, and they tended to attract to him the, the irreligious, but the very religious uh, were repelled by him. In fact, his severest warnings were not given to atheists, but to very religious people. I think what we can uh, really learn from that, and when we study throughout Scripture, this is what you, you find to be true, is that you can know a great deal about God and even about godliness, morality, without knowing God. And so what we're going to learn here today is that Paul shows us in this text that we're studying from his own life that there's a major difference between being religious, we'll call that works righteousness, in having a relationship with God, which we're going to call that faith righteousness. There's a major difference between the two. So, so my question for you would be, do you know the difference? Do you know the difference between being religious and truly having a relationship with God? That's where we're headed this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. Let's once again go before the throne of grace before we read our text and invite God's presence here and His help as we study His Word. God, Your Word tells us, uh, Psalm 1611, that You have showed us the path of life, and it's through Your Son, our Savior. 
And in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. That's, that's our heart's desire, is to know you. Teach us the difference this morning between being religious versus having a relationship with you. Because we know, God, knowing you is life's greatest purpose. It's life's greatest passion. It's life's greatest pleasure. So teach us, touch us, transform our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Let me read through the text, and then what we're going to do is we're going to look at these three three questions. What is righteousness? We need to look at this big topic of righteousness. And then the next question is, what is works righteousness? And then we'll finish up by looking at what is faith righteousness? It's it's critical that you understand the difference between these. Let me read through our text. You can follow as I read, starting in chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the Word of the Lord. First question, what is righteousness? What is righteousness, this big idea? Seems to be the big idea here that He's teaching us. And... uh, the, the definition in Scripture is that righteousness is, is basically, and it's no small thing, it's a very big thing, it's acceptance. It's acceptance by God, is that God would accept us, that we would stand before God completely justified, completely righteous, in right standing with God. That's what it means to be uh, righteous. What is righteousness? But we're going to look at that word in a, in a much broader sense, it is what we desperately need And so it is acceptance from God with heaven and hell hanging in the balance both in this life and the life to come. So it's no small thing. It's a very big thing. Here's your first fill in the blank. It is a resume. We could call it a resume. Now, Paul gives us a very very impressive list of of his credentials in verses 4 through 6. We went through that list. That was Paul's resume. We're not going to work through that. Uh, Very profound list in his resume. Very 
significant for his culture. And so we could say that a resume is a list of credits, accomplishments, accolades, achievements, academics, merits, skills, etc. It is a validating performance record. That's what a resume is. It's a validating performance uh, record. What is the purpose of a resume? Here's your next fill in the blank. It is a means of acceptance, significance, and security. It is a means of acceptance which can bring significance and security. The purpose of a resume is to get you into some place that you are outside so think about a resume here for a minute. It is the purpose of a resume is to get you into some place that you are outside. It is an argument for why you should be hired or accepted into a job, a college, or part of a team, or part of a peer group. Third fill in the blank. It is fundamental to all of life. So as we talk about this idea of righteousness... It is what we desperately need. It is a resume. It is a means of acceptance, significance, and security. It is fundamental to all of life. Now, when I say that, I'm not just talking about the formal written resume. I'm talking really about this idea, this concept of righteousness or this, this uh, validating performance record, this informal unwritten resume that we all tend to live by. It is not just for jobs and colleges, but also for friendships, romance, marriage. I mean, in fact, the esteem of others and, and even our own personal self-esteem is really built on this resume system, a validating performance record. Whether you like it or not, we all do this, and people do this to us. People regularly size us up, and we size them up. You know, how they look, how we look. People size us up, how you're dressing how you talk, where you work, how much money you make, where you, what you drive, where you live, what's your education. And, and so we, we kind of not, uh, uh, subconsciously do this, and it's based on this validating performance record. It is a resume. It would be classified as our, as our righteousness. I mean, I hear people say, wow, you wouldn't believe where they live. Or, man, you ought to see the car that he drives. Or, well, he's got a Ph.D. from Harvard or you know, any number of things. In essence, what they're boasting about is this person's righteousness or their, their resume, their validating performance record. And so we all do it. How do we know what, what ours is? Well, your, your righteousness, your resume, your validating performance record is what you, you glory in. It's what you boast in. It's what you're able to look yourself in the mirror and either feel good or bad about yourself. So, I mean, if I were to ask you, do you feel good about yourself? Or do you feel bad about yourself? How do you feel about yourself? Typically, it would be based on this validating performance record that you have. I mean, it doesn't even have to be written down. It can be very informal, unwritten resume. <coughs> And so, everyone has a resume, everyone's resume is different, and everyone is trying to live up to some standard, some kind of resume. Now, let me share with you a little bit about my, what my resume is. What do you guys think my resume would be? I've told you. That, yeah, that, that, that was certainly a part of my resume. Sometimes I still use that kind of as a, as a card as I throw out there. Oh, yeah, I used to be a firefighter. 
But pipe fitter? Not so much. But uh, no, actually, uh, that's part of my resume because I was a pipe fitter, welder, and, and, and all the, you know, uh, had a lot of certifications when I worked out at Palo Verde, and that was kind of a, a resume thing. The more certifications you had on all kinds of different kinds of metal, and it's pretty difficult. Yeah, that's right. I had a lot of resumes. A lot of, what's that? Raised in a Christian family. Yeah, that could be part of that, that resume. But actually, um, you've heard me talk about this. Actually, my resume is, is this church. It's a, it's a form of idolatry, actually. When uh, um, I know that it's part of my resume is because when things aren't going well with the church, what happens to me emotionally? I fall apart. How'd you know? <laughs> exactly. And, and my wife would always seem like the more spiritual one because she would like say, oh, you know, we'll, just, we'll get another church. Or, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? So she, she just kind of like, ah, whatever. And she didn't sound like, she'd just say, trust God. We'll get another church. you start another church. You can do whatever. You know, it's not that big of a deal. And everybody would go, oh, she's so much more spiritual. Well, it's because that's not her resume. It's not her resume. It's not that important to her. Now, let me ask you this. What do you think her resume is? This, no, this is an easy one. Her trophy husband. <laughs> Praise God. I mean, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> that's messed up, huh? That's not even on the radar for her. Even though I've tried to make it, I'm, I'm a trophy husband, aren't I? Please tell me. Please tell me that I am. <laughs> um, actually, it's the kids and grandkids. So when the kids aren't doing very well, I seem more spiritual. Because I say, we'll just get some more. <laughs> we'll have more, okay? Whatever. But, but you know, she gets extremely anxious when the kids aren't doing well. And so it's kind of interesting. I mean, that would be her resume. So um, my question for you is, what is your resume? And the way that you're able to identify your resume, your validating performance record, <coughs> is uh, what dominates your thoughts what stirs up your deepest emotion? What do you get really excited about? When was the last time you got excited? And uh, what stirs up your deepest emotion? Now think about whatever it was that got you that, that excited, and you were just like, whoo, maybe it was the Cardinals beating Dallas last night. <laughs> they, actually, they actually won a game. And, uh, and Dallas isn't doing that well this year, so whatever. Um, but whatever you got excited about, think about whatever you got excited about, that's just a dim glimpse of the excitement that you can have in your relationship with God, whatever it is. And so somehow if you're getting more excited about anything other than God, it's because that's probably your resume. Somehow it's your validating performance record. There's something going on there. So you, look at, you can look at what dominates your thoughts, what stirs up your deepest emotion, what moves you to action? 
Another way that I look at my own life to see what is my validating performance record, what's my resume, is that I typically look at my inordinate emotions. You guys have heard me say that before, haven't you? Inordinate emotions. So when your validating performance record is being threatened or lost or blocked, blocked in any way, it's better to be said like this, whether it's threatened, blocked, or lost completely, then you will have these inordinate emotions such as um, inordinate anxiety, anger, and even depression or despair. So when you look at your emotional makeup, that's attached to something. It's, it's probably your validating performance record. It's your resume. It's your righteousness. It's your righteousness. So that's what righteousness is. Let's take a look at what works righteousness is all about, okay? That's the next question. <coughs> the next question is, what is works righteousness? And we, we see that because in verse 2 through 4, let's, if you still have your Bibles open, let's go to verses 2 through 4. I, I just want to point out some things here as we, as we work our way through the text. Notice what he says three times. He says, look out. So that's a pretty big warning. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What is he talking about there? That's weird, isn't it? He's talking about these Judaizers who believed in Jesus but believed that you had to be circumcised. You had to add circumcision to that. And so he's using some pretty vile language here. And in fact, he's giving us a pretty, a, a, a pretty hardcore warning. He says, man, you do not want to go here. You don't want your righteousness to be a works righteousness like theirs. And then he goes on and he says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now he says that three times. You'll notice he mentions this, no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. What is that? In other words, my validating uh, performance record, my resume, my righteousness is not something that I have achieved. It's not in the flesh. It's not some, something that I've acquired or achieved or accomplished or an accolade of some sort. That's what he's saying. He's saying, for we put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Isn't that interesting? So you get these repeated words as you work through there. So he says, look out, look out, look out. And then he says, don't put confidence in the flesh. Don't make what you do your validating performance record, your resume, your, your righteousness. And then look over at verse 9. kind of helps us to understand this whole idea of works righteousness. <clears throat> and be found in him. So he says, I want to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, some kind of performance, something that I've acquired, something that I've achieved, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness, acceptance, significance, security from God that depends on faith. So you see what he's saying there as you work through that? So what is this works righteousness? It is where we generally get our acceptance, significance, security. It's the default mode of the human heart, of our sinful heart. Now, 
As we look at this works righteousness versus faith righteousness, we're going we're gonna to look at three categories. We're going to look at the foundation, the focus, and the fruit so that we can really understand this. Because we don't want to go in the direction of works righteousness. That's not where we want to go. So works righteousness, the foundation is, here, let me give you two, two ideas. It is self-discovery that's being irreligious, or it's moral conformity that's about being religious. So when we talk about works righteousness, validating performance record, our resume, the foundation of that is either self-discovery, every one of us typically tries to find our sense of identity, our sense of acceptance, significance, and security, either in self-discovery, which would be religious, being irreligious, I'm sorry, or moral conformity by being religious. Best example of that is found in Luke chapter 15. It's the, the story of the prodigal sons. Remember, the, the younger brother was irreligious. He took the inheritance and went out and, and lived a crazy wild life. And then... Um, the elder brother stayed home. He left the father without leaving the farm, which was really quite interesting. And that would be called moral conformity, being religious. So self-discovery would be the pursuit of your validating performance record through the pursuit of your brains, bucks, beauty, brawn. Moral conformity would be just you're pursuing morality or right doctrine or gifts and ministry and you know, church success or size or, or whatever, or it can even be a political party. What's interesting about these two, it's the two ways that we miss God in an effort to stay in control of our lives through, through self-salvation projects. These are, these are what would be classified as fig leaves. Remember Adam and Eve? When they recognized their nakedness, what did they do? They sewed on fig leaves. So our resume would be our fig leaves, our way of covering up because of shame, and it's a way that we, we promote ourselves and we, we try to feel better about ourselves. And uh, I really, let me give you some examples. Uh, for instance, self-discovery, examples of people that would fit into this category of self-discovery would be your Donald Trumps, your Bill Gates, you Hefners, LeBron James, Katy Perry, uh, Bill Parcells. You guys know who Bill Parcells is? They just, on ESPN recently, they had that, his bio. It was really interesting. I watched it a couple of different times. Really interesting bio. But in that bio, he said, the only one that I need to please is the one that I see in the mirror every morning. It's called self-discovery. It's, it's self, you know, I'm the only one that I, so his sense of identity was based on his own performance, based on whether he approved it or not. Really interesting. It's not uncommon to a lot of, uh, a lot of people in America today. And, and a lot of people, I'm, I'm sure that they would applaud that. And yet, when it comes to self-discovery, you know, the Bible says being irreligious. Basically, it's an attitude that says, I don't even believe there's a God. I'm just going to pursue life and find it on my own. And so that would be the ir irreligious approach to life, and I'm going to try to find my sense of righteousness. By the way, even if you're an atheist, you still, are, uh, you still have a validating performance record. There's something that you live for. There's something that makes you either feel good or bad about yourself. And, um, and the Bible says, Jesus said it, what good is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his what? His soul, yeah, loses his soul, loses his life. A moral conformity would be this. It would be um, people that would fit into this category. It would be the eightfold path of Buddhism, the five pillars of Islam, ten commandments of Judaism, 
reincarnate until you get it right of Hinduism, um, the baptism and door-to-door work of the Jehovah Witnesses, uh, exalted to Godhood by a list of works written by Joseph Smith, the Mormons. And, and believe it or not, even many American Christian churches give, uh, will give you this list of do's and don'ts. That if you do these certain things, then you will be accepted by God. That's simply not true. That's not true. That's, that's called works righteousness. Um, and so it's either through self-discovery or moral conformity. What's interesting, the Bible, the Bible says the gospel is so radical that what makes a, a person a Christian is not that they move from being from being irreligious to being religious. And oftentimes people, when they say, when we hear us proclaim the gospel and we invite people to come to Christ, that's what most people think. Did you know that? They think that it's about becoming, going from irreligion to being religious. In other words, do good works, clean up your act, obey the Ten Commandments, live by the golden rule. That's what most people think. That's what it means to become a Christian. And yet, Becoming a Christian is, is, means really to confess and repent of both of your religion and irreligion about what you do and embrace what He has done for you. It's an imputed righteousness. It's that your acceptance before a holy, righteous God has been given to you through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty profound. And, uh, and so we think that we can earn it or achieve it. And, and the, the grace is against earning and achieving, but it's not against effort and action. It, it, we still have life change and it does something to us, but it's why we do what we do. It's not to, to, uh, to develop a resume. It's not to develop this validating performance record so we can feel better about ourselves. We should if we understand the Scripture, already feel good about ourselves. I mean, my goodness, the Savior was crushed for you and I. I mean, what more do we need? That alone should so rock our world that we would forever live to proclaim His name. But see, we get, we get all jacked up in our society and we fall prey to a works righteousness. And so then the focus becomes, here's the focus, my performance plus the acceptance of people I admire. <clears throat> and, um, and oftentimes this can even keep people from really coming to Christ. So the focus, so the foundation of works righteousness is self-discovery or moral conformity. So we take one of those two paths, and it's in an effort to stay in control of our lives because we don't want to really give up our lives over to Christ. And then the focus is my performance plus the acceptance of people that I admire. I gave you a couple cross-references there. Let me just read through uh, John five forty four. This is really an amazing verse because he's speaking to the religious of his day, Jesus is, and this is what he says. He says, how can you believe? And he's talking about, you, you guys can't believe in me. The reason why you can't, you can't believe in me. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? In other words, he's saying, because you seek your validating performance record from one another, you pat each other on the back, and because you've hit all of the 
you know, all the standards that are so-called, you know, for religious people, no wonder you reject me because you can't even see me. And, and so because of that, your value system is based on, the, on what the, this religious system is about. Therefore, you reject me is what he's saying. Pretty amazing. Truth. Here's another thing that uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. <clears throat> he says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. They're not wise. In other words, he's saying, if you're building your resume based on the standards of this world, you are not wise. You're not very smart. But as you compare yourself with one another, look at, the, look at my car, look how much money I've got. Wow, that guy is really a great basketball player. He's saying that's unwise. To have that as your validating performance record. Now, here's the last of this idea of what is works righteousness. So we got the foundation, we got the focus, and the fruit is pride or despair. I think this is where a lot of times this midlife crisis that a lot of guys and gals go through <clears throat> is because they look at their life and then they realize, wow, my life doesn't compare. My validating performance record, my resume, my, my righteousness doesn't even come close to where I thought I would be. And therefore, it creates this, this depression. And, and then, I mean, then you go crazy. I mean, you, you start pursuing all kinds of crazy things, thinking that somehow you're going to change your resume, not realizing the acceptance that you have in God. And so it can either lead to pride, superiority, or despair. The Bible has a lot to say about that. I mean, I put the different verses there for you so that you can see that. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 23 he says, uh, Paul says this, we are self-deceived, basically saying that we are self-deceived if we think we're something by the standards of this world. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 3, he says, I put very little weight in what anyone or group of people say about me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? So what he's saying is that, hey, even the very things that we have have been given to us by God's grace. And so why would you act as though you didn't receive it? Why would you make that as part of your resume to promote yourself with people? There's an interesting story, as I'm going to transition into what is faith righteousness, but there's a story in his book, Counterfeit Gods, Timothy Keller, a story I've shared with you before, but I want you to hear this story because you can kind of see where this gal... Her psychological issues are coming from her works righteousness, her righteousness, her validating performance record is based on her performance in being a, a musician based on the validation she receives from her parents. So it says, a young woman named Mary was an accomplished musician who once attended my church. For many years, she had battled mental illness and had checked in and out of psychiatric institutions. She gave me permission as her pastor to speak to her therapist so my pastoral guidance to her can be well informed. Mary virtually worships her parents' approval of her. Her counselor told me, and they always wanted her to be a world-class artist. She is quite good, but she's never reached the top of her profession, and she cannot live with the idea that she has disappointed her parents 
Medications helped to manage her depression, but they could not get to the root of it. Her problem was a false belief driven by an idol. She told herself, if I cannot be a well-known violinist, I have let my parents and my life is a, I've let my, I have let down my parents and my life is a failure. She was distressed and guilty enough to die. When Mary began to believe the gospel that she was saved by grace, not by musicianship, and that though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord shall take me in, Psalm 27.10, she began to get relief from her idolatrous need for her parents' approval. In time, her depression and anxiety began to lift, and she was able to re-enter her life and musical career. Pretty, pretty significant, pretty profound. So, let's talk about what is faith righteousness. What is faith righteousness? It is where we get ultimate acceptance, significance, and security. The foundation is the work of the Holy Spirit. You see that in verse 3. He says, for we are, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. In fact, if you want to understand a little bit more about this whole idea of circumcision, Old Testament circumcision was a picture of a New Testament kind of circumcision. Romans 2, 28 through 29, true circumcision is a work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so the foundation is not about what we do, what our work, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Back to Philippians 2, 12 through 13, remember what Paul said there. He said, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work according to God's good pleasure. So it's a work of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit not only gives us the desire, but the ability to follow Christ. But it's His work in our lives and through our lives. And as we've already stated, everything that we have has been given to us by the grace of God. The focus is to be the person and work of Jesus Christ for me that the Savior was crushed on Calvary for you and I. That's why he says in verse 1, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Verse 3, he says, glory in Christ Jesus. Now, let me reread through this, uh, through this text. And uh, if you still have your Bibles open, you can follow along as I read verses 7 through 9. Listen to, listen to the weight of these words of what he's saying. He just went through his resume. I mean, and it's, it's a pretty profound resume that he has you know, culturally speaking, but this is what he says, starting at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And literally, Paul had lost everything. I mean, here he's writing this while he's in prison, and, he, and he's He's chained to a praetorian guard, and literally he has. And yet he says, all things, and count them as rubbish. You guys familiar with what that word literally means? You know, the translators are nice here. It's a pretty despicable word, really. It's basically, it's dung. That's not very nice. I mean, and that's, that's, and that's being light. It's actually crap, okay? And it's actually probably more explicit than that, okay? And I... And I I won't use that word here. Nancy uses it all the time around our house. No, she doesn't do that. She's, she has a cleaner mouth than me. Sometimes. But um, 
But that's what the word means. I mean, basically, he's saying, he's saying, I've suffered the loss of all things, uh, count them but crap, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And then he goes on and talks about that. So here's what he's saying. Let's put it in our vernacular here, kind of. Basically, he's saying, my two PhDs from Harvard, crap. My winning the Nobel Peace Prize, crap. My Congressional Medal of Honor, mm, crap. I mean, that's what he's saying. He's saying, oh, uh, eight gold medals, Michael Phelps, mm, that's crap. That's what he's saying. He's saying, that's nothing. Have you seen Jesus? I have a relationship with Jesus. Do you understand what he's done for me and for you? Nothing even comes close. Now, that's what he's saying. He's saying, in comparison, <laughs> it's, it's nothing. Even if, even if LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh of Miami Heat win the NBA championship for the next 10 years straight, Paul would say, that's all crap. I mean, that's what he would say. And, that's, and that's, that gives you a little bit of a sense of, do I see Jesus like he sees Jesus? Do I see my sense of righteousness in Christ the way that Paul does? He's saying, knowing Christ surpasses the value of everything. That's what he's saying. He's saying, to know Christ is more important than anything. Now, think about that. Do you believe that? Do you see that? To know Christ, to know Christ is more important than anything. It's more important than family. It's more important than health. It's more important than job. It's more important than all the money in the world. It's more important than life. Is he? Is he to you that important? I have to confess. Um, I have to prayerfully fight this battle every day because by nature I'm a family lover and a health lover and a job lover and a money lover and a, and a life more than God lover. This last week, man, I have been so sick. <laughs> and I had to say, do I love Jesus more than wanting to get healthy? <laughs> I went home Christmas Eve and puked my guts out. And uh, uh, and Nancy celebrated. No, she didn't. She was right there feeding me more food so I could throw up more. Listen, I think just between us, I think she's trying to poison me. Please pray for me. No, I don't think she is. She's, she's, other than Jesus, she's the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> you guys know that. You know that. Um, but I have to battle that. I have to battle that every day. I want to make this church. I want to make my kids. I want to make anything and everything, the approval of others, as being more important to me than the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross and Him crucified. I mean, it is a battle. It is a fight. We're going to talk more about that fight next week. See, a Christian is someone who recognizes that God gives you the perfect resume, the perfect validating performance record. And here's, here's the interesting thing is that 
We don't perform to get that. We have that, therefore we perform. Does that make sense? And don't, don't get that mixed up. We don't perform to get that. I don't obey God to get his blessing. Man, I have his blessing. Therefore, I obey him because I want to put him on display to the world. See, and really what it comes down to is the giftings that he's given you, you will either use those for your resume and for your glory, or you will use it as a platform for his glory and use it as an opportunity to promote him. So it's not, I mean, I think it's great that you've accomplished so much and you, you have a, a lot of, you know, maybe you have a lot of money or you have a lot of whatever that's been given to you by God. So use that as a platform to show the glory of God. Not your glory, because that was by God's grace. And so that's, that's how we do that. Here's the last point. Here's the fruit. Big ending. Here we go. <clears throat> The fruit is unspeakable, glorious joy <coughs> of knowing him, becoming like him, suffering for him, and one of these days being with him for all eternity. That's what he's saying in verses 10 and 11 here. I mean, it's really profound. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, that I would even suffer well for him becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, how do I know the difference in my own life as I work through this? Here's how I know the difference in my life, whether I have a faith righteousness or a works righteousness. Ephesians 6.14 is one of the cross-references I put down there for you on your notes. Paul talks about this uh, breastplate of righteousness. We have a blessed breastplate of righteousness. If you have this breastplate of righteousness on, so to speak, it's part of, your, part of a defense. It's part of who you are. If your identity, your validating performance record, your resume is in the Lord Jesus Christ, here's how you know, is that you can withstand anything you can withstand anything. If your righteousness is in Christ, you can withstand anything because you're accepted. Your acceptance, your significance and security is in the cross. Your validating performance record is in Jesus, which can never be threatened, blocked, or lost. So when people criticize you, when you fail, when disappointments happen, they may make you sorrowful, but they won't devastate you. Because, here's the definition of joy, because you have a buoyancy based on the pleasures you find in the eternal privileges you have in Christ. The greatest privilege being our relationship with him. You have a deep, durable delight in the beauty, glory, splendor of who Jesus is and what he has done for you that ruins you for anything else. Now, take a look at the very end of the notes. This quote I put down. We are all desperate for righteousness, a performance validating record that gives us acceptance, significance, and security. Acceptance, security, and significance. Works righteousness is performing to be our own God. But faith righteousness is performing to honor God because of his amazing acceptance, security, and significance by grace he gives us. That's it. 
bow your heads with me. Let's take a moment. I'm going to have the band come up, and they're going to end on a song. But let's just uh, let's pray about what we've talked about this morning. Just reflect. How does God want to minister to you this morning as it relates to that? <clears throat> Father God, we're thankful so much for this message. This, the truth of this is just it's astounding. We confess and repent our works righteousness, building our validating performance record, our resume on anything other than in all of who you are. Christ and, and what you have accomplished for us on the cross. Father, the next time that we excessively, that we are excessively disappointed or cast down or inordinately hurt, help us not to, to pray for circumstance enhancement as much as we pray for character enrichment in the midst of that. Anytime we take a hit, help us to say to ourselves, this is a good thing I'm losing, but it's not my righteousness Help us to see that, that if we are absolutely devastated by the loss of something, whether it be family or health or job or money or life, anything in life, it is a good thing that we have promoted to being our righteousness, our validating performance record. And the reason we can't handle it, it is because we need to demote it and replace it with your righteousness, our acceptance, our security, our significance in you, Lord Jesus. We who are nothing can be filled with you, God, who is everything, and that will make our lives something. May the truth of that burn bright in our hearts. May the truth of that burn bright in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said